What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Boston Celtics select Jason Tatum from Duke University. Brown on the break for the Celtics. Goes around the world. Oh, the circus game in a Boston. Walker for three. Kemba Walker from downtown. Tatum drives down. Let's roll it down. Wow. Rebound. Gordon Hayward for two. Gordon Hayward with a corner crash. No blockout. Hey guys, welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network, brought to you by Bet Online. We recorded an episode earlier this afternoon. It is currently like midnight after the Celtics beat the Nets. Very late game. There was enough in that game that Nicole and I figured we should probably record some stuff on top of what we recorded earlier today. So let's talk about the Nets because that's kind of the thing that's going to be on everybody's minds. Celtics 149, Nets 115, really big win. A lot of, I thought, decent stuff from the Celtics. Not a good Nets team at all. What were, what were some of your takeaways from tonight's game? Before we get into it, two things. One, Tom acknowledges this later, but he's recording on his phone. So if his audio is bad, it's because he doesn't have internet right now. And then two, we're probably going to end up contradicting ourselves. <laughs> yeah, probably. Later in the segment, I remember, I think I specifically say there's no way Romeo's going to get minutes or something along those lines. So... This is like one of the problems with you don't have basketball for four months and now we have this influx of games right before the playoffs. We basically overreact to every game that we get at this point. So apologies if I make points now that I contradict later. And I'm sure the same goes for Tom. But anyway. No, I apologize for literally nothing. Okay. So first takeaway, I mean, obviously Romeo Langford was great. Well, I mean, he was good. For what it was, though, he was first off the bench, which was a good sign, I think. He played strong defense against Levert, one of the Nets, like, few good players on this roster. He forced multiple turnovers. He was active on the boards, um, had a good pass to Rob at one point. Just showed a lot of effort, which I think is key with Brad Stevens at this point, especially based on how the first three games have gone. Did he have any steals? I know he stripped... He had that strip that was definitely a foul. He didn't actually have any registered steals. Okay. But, but, but that was essentially a steal because he forced the turnover. It went off. I don't remember who it was. Was it Kuroks who was driving? I think he put together a pretty strong showing. And what was funny, though, is that after the game, Brad had very little to say about Romeo's performance. So unprompted, he called his defense excellent. And then when prompted about Romeo, all he had to say was, look, if he plays defense, he will get minutes. Again, this was against the Nets, but all in all, I think it's a pretty good night for him. Yeah, I thought so too. I balked initially because you said he was great. I mean, like, he scored four points. And the Celtics don't need him to be a scorer. Yeah, 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 they don't need him to be a scorer. But, I mean, 
I just feel like there's going to be a lot of, you know, very good Romeo Langford nights without any equivocation, I guess. But, you know, he obviously played a lot of really good defense. I thought his rebounding was good. Um, he got a couple of, like, really contested rebounds that, you know, were nice. You mentioned the, the inside pass to Rob Williams. Those are tough passes to pull off. So that was really nice, too. I think that one of the interesting things is the types of people that the Celtics have him guarding. Because we've seen a few times now, Brad does not use him to guard smaller guards. He uses him to guard like bigger guards and kind of mid-sized wings. Tonight, we saw him matched up against Karis LeVert a bunch of times. He played a solid game. I'm not convinced that he's going to be in the rotation when the playoffs roll around. This was always going to be one of a few games where the Celtics were able to get their younger guys some minutes. That said, if you're watching this game and, and you want to see more minutes for the young guys, I think you have to be encouraged by what you saw. And I think you have to be encouraged by the fact that they represented themselves well. Like, like everybody was playing hard. Everybody was kind of doing their job. Uh, I, I'm with you. I mean, I, didn't, I wouldn't call him great necessarily, but I think that he played a solid game. I think it's noteworthy that Brad said that he played excellent defense and then said he's going to get minutes if he plays defense. Like that those two things in tandem feel noteworthy to me. I wish I had the exact transcript for when he was prompted about Romeo, because that could have gone anywhere. It was just sort of like, what did you see? His answer was so short. I think it was literally two sentences. He's one of our more solid defenders that's going to give him a chance to play, especially with the way we played the first couple of weeks. So very brief answer with heavy focus on his defensive performance. Brad does not like hyping up young guys. Like That is just not something that he ever has been known to do. I mean, the last thing I will say about his defense, I don't know how important this is, but he only picked up one foul. I think there's a stat that the foul calls are up. So he was able to defend really well without picking up a foul. So I feel like that is at least somewhat of note. And then in terms of eye test, he did look pretty comfortable. There was one play in particular, I remember he got lost. Like he just put his hands up, was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like he didn't even try and fake it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Was it in the second quarter? And like, I think Karuk's got a three off of it. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very funny because you could see Brad on the sideline yelling, Rome! <laughs> Which made me chuckle. What I loved is he just didn't even try and hide it. He like literally put his hands up and was like, I have no clue where I'm supposed to be right now. <laughs> and I was oh. like, well, you're guarding the wide open shooter who is shooting. So yeah, that was very funny. Overall, I think it was a good performance. I mean, I'm not even going to bother speculating whether this is going to increase his minutes or whatever in the playoffs because I feel like my answer changes all the time. But I don't think this detracted from his argument if he were to be building one to say that, like, I should have some playoff minutes. No, I think it added to any argument of that nature. I am still out. Not, not because I think he would be bad. I just don't think he's going to get playoff minutes. I think that this adds to the case that he's building for himself next year. A lot of the things that he's doing right now are they're, they're very positive and they sort of give a little bit of a preview as to what Romeo Langford might look like next year. Um, you know, it'd be, it'd be nice, I think, for the Celtics to see some scoring from him, um, you know, see a little bit of offense. And that's just not his role right now. But maybe exactly. And those are all the things that are going to get him on the floor. So I guess in keeping with the rookies, like, what do you make of how Brad is using Grant Williams? Because he wasn't used in the important games, and he's not being used in the non-important games. Like, he only played five minutes tonight. All at the end of the fourth All, floor. exactly, like garbage time minutes. I saw one fan tweet, did Grant beat Brad in Catan or something? Because, <laughs> like, I don't know. I really don't know why, what the explanation would be. You know, 
it's tough, right? Because I think that the Nets are kind of a tough matchup for Grant. Jared Allen is very tall, very athletic. <laughs> and I, I think Grant could do some nice things against him with his his size and his, his strength. But I wonder if that's part of it, you know, a matchup-based thing. Um, although Celtics were up by 20 for almost this entire game. So it, it would be a little strange to uh, just send him. I, I, I don't really have a good answer. I, I'm not sure why he's not getting minutes. For a couple of the games, I've wondered if Brad just saw something that Grant did that made him mad like because Brad does do that sometimes he'll pull a guy especially like a young guy who he's trying to teach something to he'll pull a guy after like five minutes if he's made like a bad mistake again that wouldn't explain why he didn't play against the Nets so I'm not sure why that was maybe it was just literally a function of Brad wanted to see Rob I mean it might just be as simple as that there's just not that many center minutes to go around I also kind of don't think that getting Grant Williams minutes is high on Brad Stevens list of priorities right now Grant is a rookie, so, you know, he's going to be around for a while, and he's also pretty inexperienced, and the Celtics are trying to win games right now. They're trying to get everybody ready for the postseason. What Brad is thinking about is how can I make Jalen, Jason, Kemba, Gordon the best they can be. I guess I'm just confused because I feel like heading into the bubble, Grant was the one player with sort of, or the one rookie with sort of a clear role as like a role player, and he had sort of established himself even heading into the restart, so... I'm just sort of surprised at how he's been used, but who knows? It could all change very soon. Well, and in retrospect, maybe we shouldn't be so surprised because we know the Celtics are going to play a smaller rotation when the playoffs come around. The center rotation is probably going to be Tice and Cantor and then maybe somebody else behind those two guys. Like, if you get too much deeper into it, if you say, like, okay, maybe Rob gets some minutes, maybe Grant gets some minutes, you start to bump into, like, 9, 10, 11-man rotations. Which is not, which just is not going to happen right. in the playoffs. Like, that's just obviously not going to happen. Right, right. Well, then speaking of a potential backup center, Robert Williams was perfect from the field, seven of seven, including knocking down like a very clean mid-range jumper, which he said afterwards was encouraged. He also buried a pair of free throws that looked really nice. Yes, agreed. So perfect from the field, scored a career-high 18 points, had three blocks, a steal, five rebounds, plus 21 Overall, like a great stat line from Rob. And then visually or like eye test wise, he had basically all of his usual stuff. Everyone makes fun of the Celtics for being unable to throw an alley-oop, but then Rob gets in and they just like fucking like target that, you know? It's like, oh no, now you can throw them? Like what's going on here? <laughs> uh, Smart had one of the nicest alley-oops I think of the Celtics season in the, uh, in the second half when he, he found Rob. He, he kind of froze his defender really well and just kind of lofted this very casual pass up to Rob who went and got it. Like, it's, it's got to be fun to play with a guy like that, like just knowing that anything that you throw up near the rim is going to result in a, in a highlight play. That's got to be a lot of fun, I think. No, totally. So, I mean, again, so hard to project minutes-wise what anything means, but similar to Romeo – I thought he turned in a good performance. Similar to Romeo as well, there were times where he looked a little lost or just, like, was in the wrong spot. I feel like Rob, too, just, like, he never, like, gets into a stance, like, ever, which I think is something that he needs to do, maybe. He and Devontae Green are, like, literally averse to stances. It's, it's honestly bizarre. Again, like, obviously there's room for improvement, but, like, overall, it was a good night for him, I thought. 
like you said, I, I don't think that this necessarily means that he's going to be getting regular minutes or anything like that. But he had, he had a nice night. Brad praised his defense a little bit because he was matched up with Kuruks early. And Kuruks kind of like, you know, punished him with, with at least one three. You know, and then Rob sort of seemed to, to get his feet under him a little bit. And like that was pretty understandable because Brad threw him out there as Brooklyn was going small ball for Rob's first minutes of, like, the restart. So, like, that was a tough situation to be tossed out there in. But I thought Rob adjusted. We'll, we'll see how much it matters going forward. It would have been disappointing, I feel like, if he were a little bit more, like, out of control. And because Rob, I feel like, is so boomer bust, sometimes you don't know what you're going to get. And sometimes you could get that version of him. So it, it's nice to see um, him, like, put up a good performance. For sure. And with that, here's, like, 20 minutes on the Miami game. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We're brought to you by Bet Online. My name is Tom Westerholm, Celtics beat writer for Mass Live, and I'm joined by Nicole Yang of the Boston Globe. But I don't have internet, so if I sound a little weird, it's because I'm recording this on my phone. But we're rolling. The Celtics last night lost to the Miami Heat. I thought it was one of the least inspiring Celtics basketball games of the year. I thought they were really bad. What, what, what were some of your takeaways? Bam Adebayo just feasted. Like, they didn't make anything difficult for him. It could have been much worse. He missed seven of his 18 free throws, but the fact that he even got 18 free throws is insane. So not only could Adebayo basically just get whatever he wanted in the paint, and even though the heat points in the paint might not be that high, it's because he got to the line so much. But so not only that, but... Brad Stevens made, in my opinion, like the curious decision to deploy the team's like quote unquote best five lineup. So that's Kemba Walker, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Gordon Hayward, and Marcus Smart. We haven't seen that lineup that much, largely due to health reasons, and it's just finding the right time to use it. But he decided to use it in the final three and a half minutes of the first half, and Adebayo just like went to town. Like he scored seven straight points. He drew four fouls on four consecutive possessions. He went on a 10-0 run. I just don't really understand the move to go to that lineup at that point. To go small against a team with like such an athletic and like agile center like Adebayo, like he's gonna get his own in that position. Like I feel like that lineup, at least in my opinion, might be more effective against like maybe a more traditional big. I don't know. Where do you see that lineup best? Because like you mentioned, I think in a previous podcast, we'd only seen 32 minutes of it. 32 possessions. Okay. So even less. So we saw three and a half minutes last night, which seems like a lot relatively, but the hilarious stat is so in those three and a half minutes, the best five lineup recorded an offensive rating of 28.6 and a defensive rating of 142.9 for a net rating of minus 114.3. Terrible, like no matter how you cut it. And so like Stevens is right. Those are his best five players. I don't know if that was the correct situation and Adebayo definitely took advantage of it. So one, curious where you think that lineup might be best. And two, what do you think they could have done differently like last night? Yeah, so I thought Brad was interesting talking about the reason why that lineup struggled was because they let Bam get too deep in the paint. He felt like earlier in the season they were better about not letting the ball get so deep in the paint. And yeah, I mean, Steven Adams feasted, although Brad kind of wrote that one off. I think Brad kind of felt like that was just like a first game type thing. But then Yusuf Nurkic feasted, and now we've seen Bam Adebayo feast. 
what could the Celtics have done differently? It's hard to say because I just I don't know if that lineup works. Like I keep expecting it to be the Warriors' death lineup from a couple of years ago because it's got so much scoring and it's got so much versatility and because you know Marcus Smart is very comparable defensively to a smaller Draymond Green. Like those comparisons all make sense. It's just this lineup doesn't work that well together and it's kind of weird. A couple of things I think would be interesting to watch. Jalen played center for Team USA, which, you know, was something that kind of surprised me in the moment. But he was a good center on Team USA in, small, in limited minutes. I wonder if putting him on the opposing big man might work. Adebayo's tough because he's, you know, you mentioned that he's agile, but he's also strong. And that's tough on Jalen, not because Jalen isn't strong and powerful, but just because Jalen's a wing. It's one of the reasons why it's hard to ask wings to play up even though it can be really good for your team, is because just the punishment that your body takes against bigs is a lot. I wonder if the Celtics want to put that on Jalen. Well, so according to the NBA's tracking data, Jalen did spend the most time matched up against Adebayo. I mean, this data... Well, and I thought he was good. Exactly. This data has its own flaws, but according to the data, Adebayo went 0 for 3 when Jalen was guarding him. So his three points came at the line. That was the beginning of the second half. That was the stretch where the Celtics woke up a little bit. You know, Jalen, he, he, he was talking a little to Bam. He was getting into it a little bit. And then, you know, on the other end, he was just putting his head down and going straight at the rim. Like, he didn't make a three-pointer yesterday. But as a slasher, he was pretty impressive because he just kept making these really aggressive, you know, I'm getting to the line or I'm getting to the rim or I'm going to commit a charge. You know, it's like he was basically giving the Heat those options. I I thought that was a really good stretch of basketball by him. One thing the Celtics have now run into two games in a row is a talented big man with shooters around him. That's what killed him against Nurkic. Obviously, the Heat have plenty of shooters themselves. I don't think the Sixers are going to punish the Celtics the same way, but the Raptors absolutely could punish the Celtics the same way with with a big man, you know, in in Gasol and plenty of shooters. I mean, Van Vliet, all those guys around him. The Celtics need to figure this out. Like, this is not something that's just going to go away. They can't just hope for the right matchups. Like, this is something they need to correct. Something we should also mention is the Heat didn't have Jimmy Butler. (laughs) Right, yeah. And it still ended up this way, so... Two other stats that stood out to me, you mentioned the shooting. In the first half, Miami went 10 for 24 from behind the arc, and the Celtics went 5 for 20. And then also in terms of shooting and just finding any source of offense, the Celtics bench continues to be a problem. Shemi usually tried. He went 1 for 6. He made 1-3. I mean, Ennis Cantor went 5 for 6, but... He had five offensive rebounds, so I assume that those were tip-ins, which is, of course, valuable, but, like, that's just not sustainable offense to rely on, like, offensive rebounds and tip-ins. Like, I'm sorry. And when he was in the game, they were still getting punished on the defensive boards. Like, he, he didn't fix the issues that were really plaguing them because a couple of times they had a chance to really cut into the lead. They gave up an offensive rebound, like Duncan Robinson hits a three. You give up an offensive rebound, Bam's headed to the free throw line. Iguodala said, you know, it's like those hurt them badly. And defensive rebounds are so much more important than offensive rebounds. Like they just are. They put an end to a defensive possession. And going for offensive rebounds can take you out of position defensively. So it's like they've got to solve the real problems. Like these kind of Band-Aid solutions don't really work here. They, they, need, to, they need to fix their issues inside. Notably, Cantor had zero defensive rebounds. I would say notably is the right word for that, yeah. But no, I agree with you. Like, they have five seeding games left. The only opponent of note, I think, is the Raptors on Friday. Otherwise, it's like the Nets, the Wizards, the Grizzlies, who are now without Jaron Jackson and have lost their games in the bubble. So they don't have much time. 
And like, I don't really know what they were. I mean, okay. I feel like this is a just like unsaid disclaimer, but I'm going to say it. Like, I obviously am not a basketball expert. Brad knows what he's doing, but like, I just am confused as to what the Celtics have been trying to accomplish since arriving other than just like managing their players health-wise, which is extremely important. 1000%. But like, what else have they sort of done so far? No, I think that's actually a really interesting point. I, I, think it, I think it's worth trying to pinpoint what it is. What I think they're trying to do is, I think they're trying to get Kemba healthy while building up the minutes of everyone else at the same time. And I know that sounds simplistic, but it really does kind of fit into everything. Because yes, like Kemba didn't play down the stretch against Milwaukee. I think that's because that's what the Celtics are focused on. And for better or worse, there's going to be some ugly hiccups because what the Celtics aren't focused on they're trying to win, but that's not the focus. And I think that's part of why it looks ugly is because instead the focus is like, let's get everybody healthy, let's get everybody ready because the focus has always been August 17th. I wonder how that's going to work out though because I think it's a fair question to be like, well, okay, you're trying this, but like, what if it doesn't work, dude? Like, what if your guys aren't ready to play? What if they actually needed to get back all of the chemistry? And I'm not, this isn't a criticism of Brad because like you, like Brad is much smarter than me. But I think it's kind of the tough position that he's put in where he has to kind of try to balance these things and decide what he thinks is most important for the team. So to me, I think what he has decided is a healthy Kemba Walker. That's what the Celtics have been gambling on all year. Brad has done a good job of managing the minutes. He has kept Kemba, much to Kemba's chagrin, under his minutes limit every game. Uh, yesterday was the first game where Kemba finally got to play in the final minutes. And Brad also noted that the only reason why Kemba played in the fourth quarter at that point was because Smart fouled out with like yeah, right, yeah. in the third yeah. quarter. So I feel like even that wasn't planned. But to your point, even though it sounds so simplistic, it's just keeping Kemba healthy and keeping everybody else healthy. That has domino effects that I think contributes to like the ugly basketball in that like then we see more Brad Wanamaker, then we see more Shemi Ojale. And those guys are completely serviceable, but just like Obviously, you'd rather see Kemba Walker. You know what I mean? So you're right. Now it's like, okay, when all five are available, it better be something, you know? And like, yeah. if that lineup is even of interest to Brad, I'm sure we will see it again, though. So I will be curious to see when that moment is. And, and here's like the dirty secret for the Celtics is that the only chance they have of winning a title this season, which like, that's the stated goal. The only chance they have is everybody's super healthy and everybody is like in rhythm and playing well. If a guy isn't healthy, then there's no point because this team is, I don't think this team is going to be good enough to beat Toronto, to beat Milwaukee, and definitely not to beat any of the teams coming out of the West. These guys could be in position to be who they need to be. In, in, in a lot of ways, that's a testament to Brad. Now it's just going to be piecing it together. And that's where this gets really complicated. And he's got a tough job ahead of him. I, I don't know how it's going to work or if it's going to work. I guess another consequence of last night, it's not a real consequence, but I guess it's not a fake consequence either. The Celtics, <laughs> could, have, the Celtics could have locked up the three seed with the win. It's also hilarious to look back how everyone was like, oh my God, the Celtics could really get the second seed like once the schedule yeah. came out. Yeah, that's obviously out of, the, that's out of the question at this point. Raptors are four and a half games up unless they lose all of their games and the Celtics win all of their games. Three seed now, Celtics are one and a half games up on the Heat. Heat are one game up on the Pacers, and the Pacers are, I think, one game up or one and a half games up on the Sixers. So a lot of movement, I feel like, is going to happen within the four to six seed. Even though the Celtics could have wrapped it up last night, it still is extremely unlikely that they will fall from the three seed. 
like we've mentioned, their schedule is relatively beatable for the rest of the seeding games. I mean, the Heat and the Pacers have to play each other twice. So that's probably going to determine the 4-5. And then the Sixers, I mean, who knows what they're doing. But it will be fascinating to see how that shakes up because based on sort of everything we just said, I feel like that first round playoff series, that opponent is really important for the Celtics now. I I do want to note before we keep going on this that we shouldn't talk too much about seeding because Nicole and I are recording this on Wednesday afternoon because we know that we're not going to stay up late and record a pod after all of our work is done on Wednesday night. The Celtics play the Nets tonight. We're recording this now with like some cautious concern. If the Celtics win, I think the cautious concern is still somewhat justified because the Nets are so banged up and the Nets too are on the second night of a back-to-back. If the Celtics lose to the Nets and they look bad, all of our cautious concern might sound like we're not concerned enough. What you just said, the second game of the back-to-back just reminded me, the Heat were on the second game of a back-to-back. Yeah, yeah, right. One thing I will say is that I think sometimes teams do get a little bit of a boost from, not a long-term boost, but like a one-game boost from like not having their superstar because everybody kind of rallies. Everybody's like, hey, this is my chance to shine a little bit. This is my chance to get some of these shots up. This is 18 more field goal attempts that are going to be spread around the team. Like that can, that can be really fun. So, I mean, there was some of that. All right, so we're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you'd never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that the auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, DealDash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon signup on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use the offer code GINO or DealDash.fm slash GINO. That's D-E-A-L-D-A-S-H dot F-M slash GINO. All right, so Nicole, um, anything else from Wednesday's game that you wanted to touch on? 13 seconds of playing time for Robert Williams, finally. (laughs) So Rob got his first action in the bubble. He was put in basically to guard the inbounds passes in like the final, I think, like 20 seconds of the game when the Celtics had a fighting chance at winning. But he was put in to guard the inbound passes. I'm not going to obviously assess his performance on that task, but... We did finally see him. Yes, you are. (laughs) In addition, we saw Romeo Langford for a bit longer, for like almost, I think, four minutes, a little bit deeper into the rotation. I mean, Rob doesn't really even count, but Romeo did get a chunk of time. What'd you think? I think that the more that we go through this bubble, the more we learn that Brad Stevens has absolutely no intention of playing those guys during the postseason. I think Brad is going to chop that rotation. I don't think it's because he doesn't believe in them. I think it's that he has several guys who he trusts. He knows that, like, Rob's going to be back next year. He's going to be able to try to earn a rotation spot next year. Romeo's going to be have a healthy training camp next year. He's going to have a chance to earn minutes next year. I don't think that it's like giving up on those guys. He knows what he's going to get out of, you know, seven or eight guys on his roster. And Brad really values knowing what he's going to get out of guys. I think for both Rob and Romeo, it's going to depend a little bit on the matchups. Like maybe there's a situation where Romeo comes in and, you know, defends like a bigger guard, maybe like a you know Norman Powell or something like that on the wrap, maybe somebody like that. 
for the most part, I think this is going to be a very, very small rotation of guys that Brad trusts, and it is not going to include many of the young guys. The bench players that are going to get action are Brad Wanamaker, Ennis Cantor, and Shemi Ojale. Like, they will be a part of the regular rotation. That's probably their eight-man rotation. And then Grant, I think, is the matchup-based guy. Two things off that. One, even with Brad Wanamaker, a player that Brad has praised extensively and being able to accept his role and sort of contribute on like a need basis. Even with Brad Wanamaker, Brad the other day was like, he's not going to get minutes once Kemba is back. Like he didn't say it in those words, but he, he acknowledged that. And like for Brad to even give like any sort of clear indication like that, I thought was notable because normally he would give some sort of just like on the fence answer, like nothing, you know what I mean? That we could really take anything away from. He literally said like, no, once Kemba gets back, Brad's not going to get minutes. Like, are you kidding me? Like you said, that's the Celtics eight man rotation, but you're actually wrong. Those guys are nine because (laughs) you forgot Marcus Smart, who is the actual like first man off the bench. So yeah, I mean, at that point, Grant is like 10th in the rotation. So you would have to get 10 deep in the rotation in the playoffs for Brad Stevens when you're a rookie. Yeah. Like I just, I kind of don't see it. So my question is, both of us have said that we thought when Gordon leaves for the birth of his fourth child, we thought that maybe Romeo could fill in there, get some minutes. I'm starting to doubt that, to be honest. Um, So I'm wondering what you think the Celtics will do during that time, if they are even still alive. The way Gordon's playing, a couple of games without Gordon might be the end of their season, quite frankly. He's no, really ex- good. exactly. So my guess is that they'll have smart start. And then first man off the bench is going to be like, I mean, Brad Wanamaker will get more time then. So I wonder if they'll even turn to another wing or if they'll just try and like lean heavy in the guards. And then obviously they know Shemi and maybe that's the time that Grant gets a little bit more time, but I don't even know if at that point Romeo will get time. Whereas sort of before we saw everything, I was like, oh yeah, Romeo will definitely get time during that point. Now I'm not so sure. No, I'm not so sure either. And I I think, you know, you mentioned starting smart and I think that's probably what they'll do. I think there's something to be said for starting Shemi and keeping your bench rotation intact. You know, in that first unit, like Gordon brings a lot to that first unit, but the first unit doesn't need scoring. They've got Kemba, they've got Jalen, they've got Tatum. So you bring Shemi in. He's shooting pretty well from above the break. He's shooting pretty well, you know, from behind the arc. Like, he can space the floor a little bit for you and play defense. And that's – I think when you've got Kemba, Jalen, Jason, that's what you really need. If Gordon's going to miss two or three games and the Celtics can pick off one of those two or three games, like, they might be okay. Um, You know, if Gordon's going to miss four games – I think he's missing at minimum two games because he has to quarantine for four days and that's going to be two games. Yeah. So plus his actual absence, it's going to be like four games. So, yeah, I mean, if it's going to be four games, like the Celtics need to like, they need to be ready to win a couple of games without Gordon. It's going to be difficult, but they're capable of doing it. I just don't know if they can do it at the playoff level. If they're playing the It'll probably be Toronto or Milwaukee. Gosh, that's going to be hard. <laughs> you know, it's, it's so far in the future that it, it feels like premature to look ahead at it. But, like, I don't know how the Celtics are going to survive the time without Gordon Hayward. Like, that's a big deal. And that's a big deal that the Celtics have to just get used to because Gordon absolutely should be home with his wife and his child. And then he absolutely should be quarantining. So there's nothing, there's nothing to be done about it except maybe trying to prep Shemi, maybe trying to prep Romeo. Like, I don't know what you can do. It's, it's just a tough situation. I mean, from the looks of it, I don't think they're trying to prep Romeo. <laughs> I don't think they're trying to prep Romeo, no. (laughs) 
but I don't know how much they're trying to prep anyone, honestly. I mean, they no, might- I think they're just going to try and rely on their consistent contributors. I don't think they're going to try and introduce necessarily a replacement per se. I agree. All right, guys, before we go, one last thing Nicole and I wanted to talk about. On Tuesday, news broke that NBC Sports Boston was letting go Abby Chin and Ashrod Blakely, two obviously key members of their Celtics coverage. It's always weird to talk about this stuff as journalists because it kind of hits home how uncertain this industry can be. So I guess, Nicole, what, what, was, what was your reaction? What do, what do you want to say about it? Sort of like what you said, I was just shocked to hear Abby had lost her job. When I saw Chad Finn had tweeted that there were going to be layoffs, I never would have guessed Abby would be a part of that group just because she is so incredibly good at her job. I mean, when we had her colleague Max Letterman on the podcast, he said like people don't know how hard Abby works and just how much time she puts into the preparation, how seriously she takes her job. And we see it like in front of the scenes, like or in front of the curtain that she is always prepared. She always is asking the right questions. That's not just saying that to like pander at all. Like she is very good at her job. And on top of that is like one of the nicest people around. Like I remember when I first started going to Celtics games, she was so kind, so welcoming. And I feel like sometimes people can be competitive or catty. I don't know. And like Abby and I are in completely different, we're in the same industry, but in different roles. Like either way, she was so welcoming, like so approachable, just everything you could ask for. And on top of that, she was Asian. Like that was cool. Like there are so few Asian people in this industry, let alone Asian women. And Abby was like one of the most prominent people in the city, in our business. So like that was just awesome to see her do such a good job and I think she was universally well-liked, just like all around sad news. Everything that you said is exactly right. Like she's incredibly, you know, incredibly kind. You hear that about people anytime there's like bad news, like, but she really is. We talked about this. It feels weird saying some of this stuff after, you know, something bad happens after she lost her job when it's like, well, we probably should have been saying this stuff all along. But I I will say that like, she's so talented, just like she's the best sideline reporter in the country. There's been a lot of times, and I won't name names of players, but there's been a lot of times where the Celtics will trot out somebody that we just have nothing for, you know, like nothing to ask this man. Honestly, every time the two people who pick that up, who pick up the slack and ask questions are Abby Chin and Aishrod Blakely. They are the two who are able to like salvage that a lot of the time. Like if there's a question that needs to be asked in a press conference, Abby will make sure it gets asked. She might not ask it always. Somebody might beat her to it, but she will make sure that that question needs to be asked. Even if it's not one that the player or coach wants to hear. Yeah. And with Twitter now, especially in the Zoom era, everyone basically gets the same content and we're all tweeting. So you can't really tell who's asking the questions necessarily, but Abby definitely 1000% is. But she's also just like really kind, really caring. And I think that's part of what makes this really sad too, is it's like, like a really good person, a really somebody with a family, somebody, you know, who's, who's really, really talented. All those things at once lost her job. Abby is a national TV talent. I hope somebody picks her up, man. Uh, I'm going to miss her a lot though, around the Celtics beat. I will too. All right, guys, we will leave it there. Um, Thank you all for listening. We really appreciate it. And we will talk to you on Monday. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. 
Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.